So hello again. Nice to be with you in this um, digital manner. Some familiar faces. I see Joseph there and Catherine. So our blessings to you from Tisarana. We're all we're all doing pretty good, quite well. Ajahn Pavaro has joined us now from Thailand, and we'll have one more bhikkhu coming, Venerable Kema. He will arrive for the vasa. So we're a full house. Um, last last uh, in our last meeting, one of the questions at the end was uh, someone posed the question on the uh, problem of attachment to family. And how can we be less attached to, to family? So I thought I, and, I, and the way I answered that, what I, I spoke about the Brahma Viharas, and especially Upeka in the four Brahma Viharas. So maybe I could go with that theme and see where it takes us. So the, the Brahma Viharas, just to remind you, you'll know this, are our fourfold way of talking about the heart, which is liberated. Sometimes in, in Buddhist in texts, it's said that uh, we re- that uh, an enlightened being realizes the unshakable deliverance of the heart, uh, and so one kind of wonders, well, what's the emotional um, content of that? What might it be? And, and I guess the closest we'd have would be the the Brahma Viharas, and the Brahma Viharas are ways uh, that a mind which is not caught up with selfishness and egotism and so on, it's the way the heart responds. To a given situation, so the the idea of metta or kindness is one that um, one does the heart does not dwell in uh, wishing ill to others. Uh, sometimes it's translated as loving kindness, but that can be rather too too powerful a, a statement because someone who you really really dislike uh, and and has caused you harm. It'd be hard maybe to, to think of loving kindness, but you could think of not having ill will towards a person. We can do that. So you might feel some annoyance at the person or whatever, and, and then your mind wants to go to ill will. You said, no, I'm not going to go there. I have memories of this person. The person's been cruel and unkind to me, but I'm not going to wish them ill. I can do that. And the memories of cruelness and unkindness that we have, we have to somehow uh, work through that. And then metta itself become become more profound. It can move towards more and more um, deep sense of, of of love to being. So there's, I, I would say, there's a gradation in that. But its basic basic idea is not to alienate myself from others through the thoughts of ill will. May you may your life be somehow harmful to you. So the alienation takes place when we do create a sense of self and other, and then wish the other person. Harm. When we don't do that, uh, we might feel annoyance, but that comes and goes. We don't create a so- strong sense of self and other. Karuna is, of course, the, the sense of compassion. Uh, it's the opposite of cruelty, and that's that which arises when you see someone in distress or, or suffering. You want to 
reach out to them, hear about their suffering and see how you can help them. That's a very active part of our lives, the generous part of our lives. Mudita is, is, the, is the, the sense of, of beauty and joy in the world and how we can appreciate that. So, um, like, I, had a, I have a bird bath near, my, near one of my windows and there, was a, there were three deer, just before I came, three deer came to drink out, uh, out of the bird bath. They're just the right height for drinking the water there. One was a male with, with antlers and then two females came. And it was very beautiful and it made me very happy actually to, to see them. And, and we have that capacity for happiness because there is beauty in the world. We don't notice the beauty if we're caught up in our own inner turmoils or we're caught up in hatred or cruelty. Uh, we, don't, we don't notice beauty if we're just thinking all the time. So a heart which is freed from the kind of consuming nature of, of, of self, when it just has this sense of availability, then we notice beauty more and more. And in that, in that beauty, that sense of upliftment is the same as the ownership of want, like, like the, it's not the same as sensual desire and sensual craving. It's a natural uh, formation of the mind when the mind's available to the beauty that exists. But it's not necessary. If, it, if it's not beautiful, the mind can have upeka. And upeka is the fourth of these Brahma-viharas. And upeka, sometimes it's not understood because it sounds like it's a kind of deadness, equanimity. But it's always in the context of those other three. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a fourfold teaching, which I always felt was appropriate because the, the heart's response to the world can't be a constant. It can't be just one way. So if someone is suffering, I don't say, oh, good for you. I don't have mudita, I have karuna, right? Um, so, so upeka is, is very difficult. And upeka, there are many, many lever, levels of equanimity, which we, we, we could maybe consider today and see where that goes. To, if you look at it, if you look at it as a, as a, as a, as a way of training, rather than some kind of experience that you get, like you get upeka or you don't get it. It's not either, or, it's not like just having something, it's something that you train towards. And if you, if you look at it that way, then you can see that to understand upeka, rather than just to get it as a product, like you would get uh, um, a dozen eggs or something at the market, that it, it, it's something that you need to sort of train towards and understand. And how could you understand Upeka? Well, you, the way to understand Upeka is first and foremost to understand what is not Upeka in your own heart, what is not equanimous, right? Because what is not equanimous is what you have to train with. And if you do that, then you can do that. Maybe I can't be equanimous, but I can notice non-equanimity. I can notice myself getting uptight in a traffic jam or, or being anxious about my health. Or, or, or being totally infatuated with something, getting overly excited about something. I can notice, so this is certainly not equanimity. This is certainly not peaceful. And the noticing of non-peace is the beginning of peace because one is then objective. One is no longer the subject. Huh? And that's what I call getting in the game. If you don't get there, you, you're never in the game because you're just a victim to all these movements that we have up and down and so on. So... The, the, the training in anything is to awaken to the way things are. And if one wanted to really 
contemplate upeka or non-attachment, you, you would do that as, as a kind of ongoing uh, uh, inquiry into your own heart and mind. And, and inquiry is something that Lompo Cha encouraged a lot, and Lompo Sumedho too, where there's a kind of questioning that goes on in our hearts. It's not the, the questioning of just self-analysis, not that. It's just like, what, what is it about the mind that's really confused right now? Or uh, why can't I get on with this person? Or what's going on in the mind? Or what is upeka here and what isn't it? And so that kind of inner questioning is, 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 it gets you away from the judging mind, gets you away from the self-proliferating mind to a kind of objective view of how your inner life is formed and how it's performing right now and what you might do is and how you might move it towards a more peaceful state of mind. And, and, and I, I, I relate that to the, to the, one of the factors of enlightened Dhamma Vijaya, the investigation of, of Dhamma. And that's not an academic investigation. You're not like taking a bunch of texts and getting more clever with it. You're taking one idea, your own, let's say in this case, your own lack of equanimity, and that is your program. That's what you're learning from, the lack of equanimity to move towards uh, equanimity, to understand equanimity. So on the coarsest level, uh, of, of non-equanimity would be when there is some really, really strong program in your mind which wants to do something very harmful to yourself or others. And that's, of course, where we have precepts. So if I really want to hurt someone with speech, you know, I feel angry at someone or disappointed or, or contemptuous or cynical or whatever, and then my speech wants to lash out with them. That's certainly a lack of equanimity, but the, the sense of, of respecting the precepts and, and really practicing right speech is a way of then protecting from that non-equanimity, creating bad results. Obviously killing, uh, you know, killing, you want to kill something, someone, precepts say don't do that. So even though there isn't, much equanimity in the mind. The mind is really full of rage or, or, or you know, kind of extreme sense of lust or whatever it might be. Um, the start of equanimity is to, to protect yourself and others with the precepts. This is so, so very important. And the way we look at the precepts is, is a sense of, of, of uh, the, one of the nicest ways I think of looking at the precepts is that, that we, we give the gift of fearlessness to others. When I, when I say to someone, I'm not going to hurt, I'm not going to harm you physically. I'm not going to hurt you. I promise you, I might really be really annoyed at you and I might really dislike you, but I promise you, I will not hurt you. I will not hit you. I will not hurt you. And that gives the other person uh, the freedom from the fear of, of, of being hurt. You free them from that fear. They know for sure you're not going to hurt them, even though I might, I might be in a bad state of mind. And that's a gift I can give to others. I give you the gift of freedom from fear. Um, the, the, the gift of, of freedom, I'm, even though I might like your, your, uh, your Cadillac or whatever it is, or even though I like your computer, or, or even though I have a chance to embezzle funds from the company, I will not do that. I promise you, I will not take your goods. I make a promise to you that I will, I will free you from the fear of, 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 of losing your things. I promise you that. 
And that's a gift, a gift to others. So even though I might have the impulse, which is not equanimous, to uh, take something which is not mine, I, I make this promise. And that, makes, that takes me above the impulse to do that. I, I pro- like if one is in relationship, I promise that I, I will not be promiscuous. I will be faithful in relationship. In monasticism, I promise I will be celibate. I will not draw someone else into any kind of sexual relationship because people who come here, that's not where they come here. They come here for the eight precepts. So as a monk, I promise you I won't do that. I won't lay that trip on you, even though I might feel infatuated with someone. In a relationship of, 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 of non-celibacy and the normal five precepts, I promise, even though you might look like an old turkey this morning, I promise you, I will, I will not seek out another partner. <laughs> I'm sure that happens sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of, 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 of right speech, I promise I will not lie to you. Even though I don't want you to know something, maybe, I will not lie to you. I promise you that. I will free you from the fear of that kind of misinformation and mistrust. And I promise you, I will not uh, inflict on you my inebriations. I promise you, I'll be sober. Right? And, and, and this, is, this is a beautiful way to look at precept. It's not just about uh, kind of a morality which you're trying to hold in, but rather it's a gift of the world. It's a gift of nonviolence. It's a gift of non-corruption. It's a gift of, 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 of non-promiscuity, of, of honesty, of sobriety and clarity. And that's a huge thing, isn't it? And that is the first step in equanimity, right? That is a, both a protection to myself and it helps others to be more equanimous because I free them from fear. So we have, we have very, you know, we have very coarse levels of non-equanimity. We have anger and fear and all these things. And, and the, the beauty of that whole precept structure is it protects ourselves and others. And when you do that, when I do that, then that leads to equanimity because I haven't acted on it. And I have a sense of self-respect. I have a sense of self-worth that even though the impulse was there to maybe embezzle funds from the company, it could have been easy. I didn't do it. I didn't go there. I was honest. And that memory stays with me. The opposite memory would stay with me too. And that is a, that is a factor in equanimity. So if, if someone has lived, you know, if someone's like really been very um, cruel in the business world and hurt others and embezzled funds, and I, you wouldn't want to live with those memories, would you? Not, it wouldn't be a very equanimous state of mind, and then there'd have to be some kind of distraction. So that's kind of one, one level you might think of equanimity. Um, you, could, you could judge yourself and say, oh, I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't be fearful, but there it is, it arises. It's like that. And, and, and then the, the dedication to social responsibility is tremendously helpful, tremendously helpful, and a very beautiful way to live. So then there are, there are other, other kind of garden variety, lack of equanimity. So then there's just the, the traffic jam. You have to make it to the airport. You might miss the plane. You get anxious there. Um, yesterday or the day before, I was, I was gluing up some large pieces of oak. And I had these large metal clamps. And I had clamped it all up. And then it, the, the glue was dry. And I was undoing the clamp. And it's a big metal clamp, and I whacked my head. I wasn't very equanimous. <laughs> In fact, I, I, I started to hate the clamp. Now, what could be more stupid than hate a piece of metal, right? What is, you know, but there it was. It was a version. It was a version. Huh? 
And of course, I rubbed my head furiously and I just was very, very careful just to look at the body. So it really, really hurt. And the mind, well, you idiot, you're a dumb or whatever. No, 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 no. Aversion feels this way. Aversion feels this way. And we get a lot of things like that in life. Just the, 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 you know, life is a hassle. These, you know, you get hit by <laughs> things in the head of the piece of metal and look like an idiot. And it happens. This is the way it is. And then, then if you've actually contemplated, and this is the thing, if you, if you really contemplate something like equanimity, you really do it like day in and day out, day in and day out and day out. When something comes up which is non-equanimous, you are prepared for it because you've been thinking about it, you've been pondering it. And then as the non-equanimous state comes up, you get hit in the head by a piece of metal, then, ah, this is a chance. This is a chance to know, oh, non-equanimity feels this way. And annoyance feels this way, anger feels this way. And you stay with it. And what have you done? You've trained in equanimity. Not because you all of a sudden, you know, equanimous. Not, not because of that. No, because now you've prepared your mind through previous considerations. And when the event happens, you're prepared for the event. And then you practice. You practice awareness of non-equanimity, which is lovely. Um, so it might be a, a, an airport um, trip to the airport or something like that. Is my sound still okay, Bita? Yes, no Okay, I'll just all right. Um, so there, there are there are like there are many many things like that which is just annoying in the world or or aggravating or anxious producing because we're very sensitive and 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 uh, all kinds of things can happen to us. Then there are, there are some things which are much, much more difficult, you know, they're, they're much more difficult, which are just sort of embedded in consciousness because of all kinds of previous conditioning. It might be patterns of fear or patterns of, of jealousy or self-doubt or insecurity, uh, patterns of, of lust and greed, which are, which are more than just your garden variety getting hit in the head with a piece of metal, much, much more difficult to deal with. But, but if you have contemplated um, equanimity and non-equanimity, if you've done that seriously, um, then when those things come up, you realize, okay, this is more difficult. This is much, much more difficult, but I'm going to take it on. And this is the feeling of non-equanimity. And where you, where you really train in this attitude, I would say, where you prepare yourself for life's daily hassles and, and non-equanimities that come up, where you do that is informal practice. Because if you, if, you, if you take the theme of equanimity and non-equanimity in a half hour of meditation, and you make that your theme rather than getting peaceful or whatever, and you just contemplate, well, what's equanimity? What's peacefulness? And what's non-peacefulness? And you observe your mind. Even if your mind is busy and upset or whatever, that observation conjoined with a certain certain theme called equanimity, non-equanimity, that half an hour of meditation means that when you enter into the world, that's going to be the way you perceive your interactions with the world through this background of having contemplated equanimity and non-equanimity. You've, you've programmed the mind to, to do Dhamma work. If you never do that, if you never make a kind of serious intention to look at some aspect of Dharma, Dhamma Vijaya, and you don't do it in a kind of um, 
consistent way for a period of time, half an hour, an hour, whatever you want, then the, then the momentum of investigation, the momentum of dharma, uh, doesn't have enough power. And the momentum of things like irritation or fear has more power and you get overwhelmed. And you're back in the soup and you regret it again. So you, you need to somehow program the mind towards investigation of dhamma. And, and, and the way I've been taught to do that is to do it in formal meditation, but also to do it as an intention throughout the day. So, so if you, t- I've always enjoyed that. Like uh, I did this, you know, from the, the talk last week, I thought, well, that'd be an interesting exploration. I'll just explore upeka uh, this week and, and, and just see what that would be like. And then that becomes the, uh, the background mindset for all the things I do. So whether I'm in the workshop or I'm with the monks at breakfast or lunch or I'm talking to a guest or whatever, the background, the background awareness has always got this theme going on. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting uh, irritated here or, or I'm a bit anxious here or whatever. Oh, that's the feeling of non-equanimity. That's the feeling of non-equanimity. And by knowing it, it always takes me to equanimity. It always takes me to equanimity because I know it as an object. I'm no longer caught as the subject. The, the, the wearing out of kamma, the wearing out of karmic habits is, I think it's for most of us, it's very difficult. Some, you know, some very adept teachers, you hear that they, Lopaliam, he, he, he practices fiercely for a few years and he realizes enlightenment and then has a, purity which runs through his whole life. Now, very few of us experience that. I, I wish we could all do it that way, but we don't. So what we experience are a lot of patterns and a lot of habits and a lot of very disappointing mind states, that, which even though you know, you know that this is definitely not equanimity, we get caught up into it. So you have to accept that, that part of equanimity is accepting non-equanimity accepting that you will get upset, that you will make mistakes, that you will blow, that you will practice wrong speech, even though your intention is not to do that. And that acceptance is the beginning of the metta bhavana. Because metta bhavana is first and foremost not dwelling in aversion. So to, to cultivate equanimity, you also have to cultivate non-aversion. Because if I have aversion to the habits of mind that come through me, for various reasons which I know or I don't know. And I just always criticize that and judge that. That's not in the package of the four Brahma Viharas. So I have to accept it. But acceptance is not condolence. It's not saying, oh great, I'm a creep today. Oh great, I, 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 you know, I hurt someone. That's not it. It's like accepting the habit and saying, this is what non-equanimity feels like. So metta or kindness or acceptance begins to be conjoined with this more objective view of the habits of mind. And once that is be, begins to be in place, then the habits of the mind are no longer fueled and fed. They're no longer fueled and fed, and they begin to have less and less power because they're known objectively rather than be the subject. Now, that, take my, that might take years. You know, just get to that stage of objective acceptance of non-equanimity is, is, is the beginning You'd think it's the end, but it's not. It's the beginning. And then a lot of the practice, as Lumpa Cha would say, is Oton. You just have to bear witness. You just have to be patient because this is not you. 
If it was you, then you would just be equanimous, equanimous tomorrow. But non-equanimity is not really you. It's it's pattern, it's habit, it's karma, it's you know, it's 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 DNA, whatever you want to call it. It's childhood conditioning, and it's coming through awareness when it gets triggered by causes and conditions. And our job, our job is then to witness and begin to be the, to see that in that witnessing is where the deepest equanimity lies, not in an emotional experience. So sometimes you have an emotional experience which is very peaceful, and it's great, you like it, and think, well, that's equanimity, that, 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 that peaceful experience I had. But that was a peaceful experience which changed, whereas the deepest equanimity is in witnessing awareness. And that I tried to indicate through um, that, the meditation. I just, you know, all I said was, listen to sound. Listen to, and you really listen and see that that silence is always there. And that's the deepest source of equanimity. And then in those teachings, you know, in the teachings on equanimity, you'll find gradations. But in those teachings of equanimity, then you get a very, uh, very simple, simple dynamic or, or, or simple suggestion, which are very difficult to do. One is, is the, the, the desirelessness, third noble truth. Desirelessness. You start to put that language in, 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 in consciousness. Desirelessness. Now, if you put that language in consciousness, then you see desire itself, and that's non-equanimity. Time, future, becoming, getting rid of all of that movement. You just put one word in, desirelessness. And then you see the tension of desire. Or, or you do simple things like, um, um, what's his name, the, the famous Ajahn Mukbo. The one that reformulated the, the Four Noble Truths. What was his name? Ajantun, yeah. Um, the mind going outside is the cause. The result of the mind going outside is suffering. The mind knowing the mind is the path. The result of the mind knowing the mind is the end of suffering. And that's very simple. Very simple. Very hard to do. So you'll find that you're... Um, proliferating about something, you're anxious about work or your kids and you're attached to the, you know, what your kids might experience or whatever and you say the mind going outside is the cause. The mind knowing the mind, oh, this is the feeling of anxiety about my children. That's the end of suffering. Anxiety feels this way. Uh, and, and, and so you, your practice of equanimity moves from the course, like sila, and, and protection, and, and, and then it moves to a kind of self-discipline, sense restraint, not stimulating the mind, that kind of thing. And, and then it moves to more um, a disciplined uh, silencing of the mind, sitting more, being more, uh, making more determination to, to actually be with the way things are. And then it moves to, to, to a kind of um, general ability, I would say, general ability to all the time know that the mind going outside is the cause, the mind knowing the mind is the end of suffering. You get better and better at it. You get better and better at it. And then as the kama comes up, um, that going outside into the objects becomes, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get reborn into that state. I don't want to be that sense of self again. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. And it becomes very strong. It becomes very, very strong and, and embedded in, 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 a, um, in a strength, I would say, which has been built up through witnessing, 
through sila, through sitting and silencing the mind, through understanding, understanding your own formations. It's, it's very important that you don't try to mimic someone else or um, uh, compare yourself to someone else's practice. You can't, you can do that, but you just suffer. But what is the experience that I have? What is the experience of suffering that I have? What is the pattern that I have? And what's the non-equity that I have? So different parents will have different attachments to their children. And then you see, well, well, kids are kids. And I love my kids, but what is attachment to kids? What does that really feel like? I don't know. I don't have kids. Um, what is, how does that arise in the mind? And can I witness it as an object? And then if I witness it as an object, then I then I still have love for my children, but I, I don't get caught by the worries and the anxieties because I know them as objects. They'll still come up because biologically, uh, the relationship of family, of, of parents to kids is very powerful. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's nature. It's just nature. Now, some, I think some, I was, I was just thinking about, about a, a kind of physical comparison about equanimity, and I thought, like I have, I have some minor psoriasis, which is a, a skin, uh, skin disease, which many people have, and and I've been to specialists, and they say that ah, it'll never get cured. Don't worry about it. So I don't worry about it, and I put a little lotion on it, and it's not a problem. It's just a skin disease. Now, I think, I think to some extent, you have to also maybe look at your own inner world that sometimes. There's just going to be stuff that you're just going to have to bear with, right? You think, well, if I really had upeka, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have psoriasis kind of thing. Well, maybe, maybe sometimes you just have inner psoriasis, right? And it just itches. And you say, well, okay, that's just the way it is. And the example I like to think of is Lopacha, when you probably read in the um, um, stillness flowing. Lopacha's beautiful biography that Ajahn Jayasaro did, Stillness Flowing, um, where the uh, Maudu, the, the uh, palmist, um, goes to Lompa Cha and he's, he's sitting with Lompa Cha and he's looking, following Lompa Cha's hands and he sees something and he says, Lompa, Lompa, can I look at your hands? I know you don't like this kind of stuff, but Cole, can I please look at your hands? And Lompa, oh, okay, have a look. And he has a look at his hands and he says, whoa, that line, you've got a lot of aversion, you've got a lot of anger. And Lopasacha says, yeah, but I don't use it. I'm not attached to it. And I thought, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that some kind of karmic momentum of aversion or whatever comes through the consciousness that Lopasacha is experiencing. And, he, and not a problem. I don't use it. So maybe it's like psoriasis sometimes. Yeah, you feel, yeah, you know, you feel annoyed at someone or touch your kids or whatever. But maybe it's just, it's all right. It's just psoriasis, it's just itches. Don't make it a problem. Now, now, obviously, if if you if you don't have a witnessing mind, if you haven't trained in witnessing, if you haven't trained in objective awareness, then these karmic tendencies are just going to take over, you know, because they have power. They're not they're not innocent little things that are are, are inconsequential. They are consequential. And they have power, so the, the power we have to bring into it is um, obviously sila. Dana is very important. It's just having some kind of radiant generosity in the heart is very, very important. But then developing this sense of patient endurance, 
witnessing, inquiring, inquiring of what, you know, what is this really like? What is suffering really like? And what is this conflict that I have? Just understanding yourself. Then, then the, 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 then the karma that we have isn't just a bad joke. If you don't have dharma, then it's just a bad joke, isn't it? It's like, oh God, how did I get this? But if you have dharma and investigation, okay, this is my curriculum. These habits and patterns, this is what I have to learn from. And there is a kind of, uh, what is it? It's a kind of challenge of the mountain. Isn't that it? Like, this is the mountain I got to climb. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it because this is the only thing that I'm going to learn from. So the very problems one has, the lack of equanimity, are the source of equanimity. How else could it work? The very places I have non-equanimity are the places of liberation and freedom. The work of doing it is gradual. It comes from insight. It comes from understanding. It comes from application again and again and again. But the, the, the work is truly worthwhile because then you've addressed your own lack of peace and, and you've resolved that in your own heart. And the confidence is, 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 is a lovely part of, of the, the liberation from that. So it's not a confidence of intellect, you know, where you have some opinion about Buddhism. It's a confidence. You've understood your own heart. You've seen where the mind does not have peace. You've worked at it. And slowly and gradually, you've seen that diminishing and falling away. And so it's good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. It really, it, it really is something which is very, very rewarding. And then those rewards manifest in the world where the Brahma Viharas are now more available. Because the mind is not consumed by self-concern, by the haunting nature of self-thoughts and so on, what is there to do but serve and to help and be and enjoy life? Enjoy the, the, the deer drinking the water or, or whatever it is, or bear with the sickness that we have. So the Brahma Viharas are kind of liberated more and more as equanimity becomes stronger. All right, uh, I'll offer that for your reflection.